Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our celebration. With the 82nd episode that launched today, wow. we accomplished our goal of interviewing 70 women over 70. Yay. <laughs> I started to think about hosting a podcast a few years before we launched, and my goal was to interview 70 women over 70 to gain an understanding of what was ahead for me since I had just turned 70. We also wanted to dispel the myth that women become invisible as they age. It was a germ of an idea, and I was able to bring it to fruition thanks to Catherine Marino, my co-founder and co-host, and our very talented production assistant and social media coordinator, Christine Cruz. Give him a hand. Yay. Give us a hand. We are something. And so together, we turned it into something that is exciting and meaningful for women of all ages in our community. The fact is that the women we interview, they are doing something for us. Their vibrancy, positivity, and activism, in spite of experiencing all different kinds of loss, inspires us and our listeners from a simple weekly podcast. We now enjoy monthly Zoom gatherings a regular podcast discussion club, a YouTube series where we interview experts who are advocates for women aging, the Get Real episodes that Catherine and I do, and we are invited to speak to many, many different organizations. So thank you all for being here. We could not have done it without you. Let the celebration begin. And please add your comments to the Facebook group. We are monitoring it. And welcome, everyone. We're just delighted uh, to be with you today. And we are very excited to have with us uh, two special podcast guests. Our very first podcast interview, it's actually episode number two in season one, uh, Judith DeVries, and our 70th interview with Suzanne Dumbleton both of whom have ties to the School for New Learning at DePaul University and uh, actually know each other. Yes. So let me start with uh, Judith DeVries. She's uh, 76, I believe. Yes. And is, thank you. <laughs> Director of Learning. She's with the Challenger Gray and Christmas, which is a human uh, resources consulting firm. And she is Director of Learning for Challenger Business and Executive Coaching. So she has two major units under her. She continues to work full-time and um, we'll be hearing more from her in just a moment. Thank you. We're on. Um, so, and then uh, Suzanne Dumbleton is Professor Emerita uh, at DePaul University. She is 78, uh, Suzanne. Once she retired as dean of the School for New Learning, uh, has been uh, continuing to teach uh, and write op-eds, articles. She's a, a strong advocate for women's human and women's rights, and so we'll hear more from her as well. Uh, so we're going to start with having some commentary from Suzanne and Judith, and then um, the question that we've asked them just to begin with is, why is it important that women over 70 share their stories? And Judith, let's start with you. Yeah, I think it really is because 
no matter what you're doing by yourself and in a vacuum, you really owe the responsibility of getting to be over 70 and still be healthy, well, active, able to influence other people's lives. But it means very little if you don't share it and encourage others. I think that's really our responsibility. And I think with any kind of privilege, that responsibility comes. And we've had uh, just great privilege getting to be this age and be able to all be here together and all doing these things together. For sure. Thank Very well. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. Thanks. Um, yeah, I, and I also think that stories are the way people connect, maybe at the deepest level, because uh, we can listen to one another's stories and connect them to our own experience and think about other people that we know through stories. Um, there's been so much progress over the years from the time that we were younger that the um, you know, in, in just in terms of, of um, exercise and diet and um, screenings and medicines, that all of the advantages have coming into this time. Um, it's, you know, I think the way to change the myths is to incorporate all of the changes that have also taken place. Um, and then also, I think the reason it's um, the sto telling stories is, is important. And I love these podcasts. I mean, I just love to listen to them. Um, it was something Gloria Steinem said uh, a while back. She's in the early 80s. Uh, I was interviewing her and she said, and she had also written this in an essay, that the younger people think that the the war has been won, yeah. <laughs> that that. The, the fight for human for women's rights is really something that other past generations did, but it's so fragile. It's also fragile that I think telling these stories and making the most of the stories, letting the more people know about what life is and what it can be, um, the better. You know, I think uh, women certainly on our age groups can appreciate the power of story and how much it connects us and what it means to us. And I'm just wondering what about how to, about reaching the younger younger generation, what, just building on what you said, Suzanne, mm -hmm. if they think the, the war is over, um, how do we share those, our stories with women in their 50s, 60s? Do you have, do you, do we, how do we do that? How do you do that? Judith, you want to? Well, I think we've had a new opening. I think it's been very difficult. And Catherine, you know, you and I always go back to that awful class where we used to get hot flashes, oh, right. where we had many, many of those young women. But they, uh, we've seen, and I've seen in the last year or so, uh, an opening on two fronts, one uh, with the social justice and what people are seeing with that now, both young men and with young women, and also what's happened with COVID and the economy and all those things and the uncertainty. You know, we see people every day, single day and my practices and that my folks work with that are never, ever, ever expected to be unemployed. They thought they had, you know, the world by the tail and that that fight, had, that fight had been won and they found out that it hasn't. And it's only through telling those stories that we're able to get them to face forward and move on. And I think it's always been very important and it keeps coming back to me more now with seeing these young 
uh, people and particularly young women about bell hooks and teaching to transgress. Mm -hmm. It's always been so important to me in talking about when we're teaching and people are learning and we're asking them to be vulnerable to us that we have to be equally vulnerable to them. And I mm -hmm. think in our case that at our age and what we've gotten to experience that that's what we have to tell our story. Mm -hmm. It's our responsibility. Mm -hmm. And be truthful about it. Yes. Yeah, because I, oh. I think one of the things that um, I've learned over time is that um, failure stories are as yes. valuable as success stories mm -hmm. um, because they um, people recognize in them um, how you go about reacting to failure and how you mm -hmm. how you recover from it. You know mm -hmm. how you rebuild. Um, and it also, I think stories of failure also give people more confidence in the teller. Yeah. Uh, that they're, they're really willing to listen yeah. to the success stories more if they've heard the failure stories. And often those failure stories can be turned over too, because all of us have been successful for the most part in our lives. We've all had things that turned out differently than we expected them to. And that people's minds go to the negative with that immediately. And it shouldn't, because when you say, tell me about something that didn't turn out the way you expected it to, we've all had things that ended up in the end after sometimes great pain turning out much better than we expected them to. Yeah, I'm glad, really glad you're both raising this because our, you know, our podcasts, our weekly podcasts, uh, we have, you included, some very uh, inspiring, powerful women and and sometimes we hear from others, from listeners, well, that that woman's life is just so uh, extraordinary that I, I can almost not relate to it. And yet, if they really listen, every single person talks about um, some failures, talks about uh, grave disappointments, how they overcame those. Uh, as you said, Judith, sometimes a lot of things turn out differently than we might have planned or uh, and and all coming to a sense of um, of um, grace and gratitude, and uh, and so I think um, we just encourage people to to really listen to everyone's stories, even though they might seem like uh, you know bigger than than most of us. Even um, extraordinary women have ordinary lives. Yes, right. right. <laughs> and so everyone is extraordinary in their own right. And, and not to listen because you think that someone is living such an extraordinary life. I, I agree with everything that Catherine said, which is that you want to look beyond the story for the life that is ordinary, just like all of ours. Yeah, I just, in a course I was just teaching, I had Sister Helen Prejean, the author of Dead Man Walking, come to the class and the students had read two of her books and they'd seen the film and they uh, kind of read the bibliography. And um, so they were somewhat nervous and she comes onto the screen and says, hey everybody, how you doing? You know, and then ask each one of them their name and what do they want to do? And because her argument is that she was an ordinary person who was thrown into a circumstance that she didn't choose, um, but that, um, she, um, you know, she felt that they were, she was kind of called to that and that she couldn't let down the people who were counting on her. Um, and the, the, the next week, every single one of the students said, she made me feel so comfortable. Mm -hmm. And she had written that she was ordinary. And they said, you know, 
She's not really, but she is. <laughs> she's, she's real folk. Huh? She's real folk. She's a real person. And so even though she's had this 40-year commitment of a single activity and lots of successes, she never thinks of herself as other than um, just folks, real folks, and connects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great that's a great story. Yeah. Um, so Judith, I know that you have um, you've been at uh, with Challenger for um, about fifteen years now. Yeah, I said I would possible? do it for a year. Right. right. <laughs> I said I would well, do it for. He told John Challenger I would do it for a year, and every year in October he brings that out, and we started year sixteen this year so congratulations it obviously had been a good choice and it's been a real opportunity and a lot of people say uh to me and to my partner dave at work that say i can't believe after you've all worked in corporate things all your lives and big corporations that you go to work for a small family-owned company and it does have all those foibles of family-owned companies but we also have a ceo that truly is a very open door ceo and we were able to go to him and say, say, John, we would like to build this separate business within your business. And then did that with him again five years after that. And if we were at a publicly held corporation or even in often many university settings, you can't do that. You don't have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be able to do that. Wonderful. And that's what's that's what's kept me at it. And Catherine told me early on when I went back to school and I've used it many times and with clients, too. She said, you have to figure out what it is you can't not do. And there are days that I wonder if I can, but I still do. And we always tell John we'll keep doing it as long as we're having fun. And every once in a while, go to his office door and say, you know, I don't know how much fun this is. But and then <laughs> recently have been able to find out, too, uh, why we're there. He has been just unbelievably active, both within the community, within our community at work, and nationally with uh, systemic racism, mm -hmm. discussions and work and social justice. That's he's chosen that as his legacy piece now. Mm -hmm. So I really feel privileged. And is he bringing that to the to the your the staff as well as your clients? Yes, that's where it started. Mm -hmm. That's where it started with the staff, both by department and then by company and things. The last session that we had, there were three hundred of us in it. Wonderful. And with various breakouts, so. Well, we're going to continue to hear from Judith and Suzanne as we move through our celebration this morning. Uh, but let's turn now to um, hearing from some of our other guests. We've done pre-recorded and Gail's going to introduce you. Yes, and um, again, Suzanne and Judith, so great to have you here with us. It, it's really, you're, you're our milestone episodes and we really appreciate your being with us. Uh, we're going to talk now, of, or we're going to hear from some women who are part of our uh, monthly podcast discussion club. And this has become a regular feature of ours. That is, uh, it, what happens is each month we review three of our Women Over 70 episodes based on the eight categories that we have uh, separated them all into. We could actually feature a lot more categories because everyone is so multifaceted. But uh, the eight categories that we work on are play, expressive arts, res help me ladies, resilience, uh, what else? Re not resilience. Health and wellness, and spirituality health. and healing, social activism. Right, 
And so, uh, so we're excited that we get to do that. And we pick three episodes and we then discuss them in depth. And I'm excited for you to hear from uh, a few of our podcast members. You asked uh, what this podcast or what uh, Women Over 70 has meant to me. And I think the biggest thing for me is uh, faced with a recent retirement and with COVID, that it's just really provided me a wonderful opportunity to connect with women from so many diverse walks of life. And it's provided for me this opportunity just to be connected. Uh, to kind of mute some of that alone time uh, and to mute some of that, oh, restrictive living that we've kind of been forced to into during COVID. So I can only thank Gail and Catherine for providing this wonderful opportunity for women over 70. Uh, it's unique and it's really, really needed. So thank you so much. Women over podcast, uh, the month and the Zoom of the larger group, and then this smaller group, it's been a gift. Um, exactly the fact that I'm not able to connect with many because I run an open mic, I did when before the COVID meeting and having conversations and introduced to new ideas. So this has been a godsend and the way it is whole structured is just so accessible. Um, I look forward to it. I thank Kristen. I forever lose the, the link and I say, please. And she links me up again. So, um, well run, beautifully done. I look forward to seeing the next 70 women. I find the podcast inspirational. It's just, um, it, they're fun and enjoyable and make me think about things I could be doing. So it's an inspiration. I think personally, I think we all need fun every day and we also need inspiration every day. The thing that I really appreciate is how much it's broadened my world. How I wouldn't know most any of these people. This is all new broadening to me. And here I get to just do it through a podcast. And they're so informative. They're so personal um, that I really enjoy them. And the third thing is podcasts, everybody, all my children listen to podcasts. All podcasts are the thing of the future and or the present. And how wonderful that you can just listen to a podcast and there's a new story for 30 minutes. Uh, I just find that um, 
Wonderful. You can use it. You can listen to that podcast at your convenience. You don't have to take notes. You don't have to listen to it when the radio wants to broadcast it. So it's not just the content. It's also the form that you have used. And this is that you're using. And this is what I think is, it's not written and it's not a picture, but it's definitely creative. So thank you. I love listening to women over 70 at midnight or um, two o'clock in the morning. Um, there is something so lovely about the purple and the pink colors that come up on my screen. And um, as my friend Linda just said about the, the pattern of, of each episode, um, the, the introductions and then the, the disclaimer about, you know, this, we've set it up this way and we're going to um, stay on a certain few topics. And it's, it's just a great, great um, source of expanding friendships. And um, I, um, what I most like is that it seems like it's the space where time doesn't matter quite as much as it does in the hectic life that we still lead even in these times and so it's it's a little bit like it was when we were um 20 at at in our first apartments and talking about everything under the sun just bringing up new topics and um, i'm so glad we know about it and keep spreading the word to other people too so i look forward to more surprising, always surprising episodes. The episodes themselves, one of the things that's great is they provide so many choices. Uh, you know, I, 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 the linear part of me wanted to start at episode one and then go to two, three, four, five. And then I quickly thought, okay, let's reconsider that approach. There are a lot of different things here. And you know, when I let go of my own restrictions, that was great. Cause I do think the choices are just, you know, they're essential for me. Um, but I think the other thing is um, whether it's during the pandemic or not, I to provide things that make me think, get my brain working, um, you know, just thought provoking ideas, discussions, reactions, and that, and it's provided that. And I really appreciate that. Uh, um, you know, that part of women over 70, it's, I, I, I want to be vital. The body doesn't always correspond, but the brain can respond. Thank God so far. Um, so I think that thought provoking. And then the last thing for me for it's this group more than anything is I feel like I've been provided new friends, something that I really, really appreciate. Um, so, and the optimistic feeling I have when we're done is also, that's such a gift. So uh, thank you all very much. The podcast club has given us much, much, much pleasure. And thank you to Carolyn and Joyce and Linda and Shirley all for participating in the podcast club. 
you know, just like book clubs and film groups, the the top the the discussion gets very very provocative, and we learn so much about each other, and we learn so much about the world at large, and and by listening to the stories of the other women who are our podcast episodes, we enlarge our world. We learn, we learn in ways that we didn't think we would learn. There's room for more. So if you want to join our podcast club, just send an email to info at womenover70.com and we'll be glad to talk with you about it. Uh, I'm not sure, Gail, if you mentioned Rasile our storyteller oh, from Vermont. Not. Thank you so much, Catherine. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, Each one of these women has a story to tell in her own right that is exciting and, and interesting and inspiring. And, um, you know, as I said in the beginning, it's the, the, the women, you, who we interview, you are, you give us so much joy and inspiration. And you're the reason why we keep doing this. We wouldn't want I would just mention also that I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Okay. That um, they talk about community and, and reach. We have a, a wonderful geographical reach, Minnesota, Vermont, Oregon, California. So we um, as Gail said, we would like to continue with we will continue with the discussion club and we want to add more states, more regions of the country. Exactly. And we're um, Judith Suzanne. Anywhere. Yeah, the world. Yes. Comments. What 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 stood out for you? And yeah, uh, well, one of the things that um, I I love those responses, right? The the connection and the and the observations. And I was thinking that there's a um, a, a scholar of uh, leadership for social change, a man named Marshall Gans, and um, he talks about one of the most important things about for social change is to tell stories. Yes. And he says that the great stories start with the story of me and then expands to the story of we and then goes to the story of now. So that a, a person trying to persuade uh, or working to persuade people to engage in a, a solution will often begin with the story of themselves. You know, so Cesar Chavez would stand up and talk about himself and his own personal story. But then he would say, and this is us, you know, mm -hmm. I am us, and then connect everybody and then say, okay, and now we together have this to do. So um, I just thought when the women were talking about how they connected to the, the stories, touched them and made them feel linked. That, some of that was going on. Yes, that's wonderful. Yeah, me, I think that me, sense of community, yeah. that sense of community came out over and over and over. And I think that means so much to all of us. And we've really found that that's another lesson that we've learned with the COVID thing too, is what that community and collaboration means mm -hmm. that we had just taken so for granted before. Yes. and had a chance to do that. It's also been another opportunity and that all our experiences, I think earlier in life, if we wait long enough and live long enough, we often can get to see some good things that you didn't know could happen. And a lot of you know, I did a lot of hospice work in my lifetime and when I was younger and always said that it's Americans could talk about religion, sex, 
in politics easier than we can talk about death. Mm-hmm. That we could never talk about death. It used, drives me crazy. All the euphemisms, you know. Uh, Suzanne expired. No, she didn't. She's not a library card. But then <laughs> finally, people are beginning to have to look at it and talk about it, think about it. That it's part of life, and sometimes it gets brought to us very quickly and very unexpectedly. So that's, I think, one of the good things, and that we're having to build a different kind of community. Mm-hmm. I think Judith connecting that that one. Someone said um, Americans can think about death, yes. but they won't think about aging. Yes. <laughs> so this is Same. Yeah. The moment in our forties that we say, "Oh, I'm going to die," yeah. but I'm not going to age. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> I can remember being on the bus one time a few years ago, and there was an older person that got on, and there were some twenty-something Lincoln Park Trixies on my bus also that were there. And the one looked at the other, and she said, "Look at how old she is! Like I'm never going to get that old." <laughs> and I just laughed. <laughs> she said that about you. No, 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 no. This is somebody even older than me. Oh, oh even older than you. Yes. There was a, a part in this uh, university program that I was at the other day where, and they were talking about aging and ageism. And so they paired, they, they took young people in their 30, young people in their uh, 20s and 30s, and then, and asked them, how old is old? You know, but when you think of an old person, how old are they? And the answer was they're in their 40s or or 50, yeah. right? And then they they brought to each of those young people an old person, older <laughs> person. Uh, and and then they did certain things together that were very physical and and um, and intellectual. And and then they asked um, the, the the people, the young people, to say, "How old are you?" They they didn't tell them their age until they went through this exercise. How old are you? And, and, you know, they were in their 70s, 80s, and 90s. And the young people said, I'm never going to think about an old person the same way again. Yes. <laughs> that that uh, now when I say old, I think I mean 90. <laughs> <laughs> but we even do it ourselves. I saw a thing the other day, and I went, rang true. It said, why does everybody my age look so old? <laughs> because we don't, you know. We don't we see don't, ourselves. No. no. No, you know, the other thing, you know, when you look at the beer and say, when did this old lady move in here? (laughs) Right. (laughs) At the same time, you know, when I look at the generation ahead of us, again, we're standing on so much advantage. My grandmother uh, fell and broke her hip when she was, I think, 63 and spent 25 years in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. Right. Because she had osteoporosis and there were no, that was Mm -hmm. it. I mean, there wasn't hip replacement. There was. Um, yeah. and uh, she was vital. I mean, we love to go see her. Yeah. And she put us through, she, she read the New York Times cover to cover every day. And so if we went and we hadn't read the papers, we were really out of it <laughs> from our conversation. But, but the, the, you know, that kind of, of um, the, the advantages we have now in so many ways, in so many health ways. You're both making a really good segue into our next um, piece about uh, <laughs> advocates for women aging. So thank you very much. Uh, we, uh, we uh, on a monthly basis, we, we interview women who are uh, experts uh, in, in a variety of topics that are relevant to women 
across across the adult lifespan. So our our advocates are not necessarily 70 or older. Some of them are far, much younger, uh, but they're all addressing some aspect of aging. And so we've done, we have pre-recorded um, a few of those women, and we're going to listen to them now. The way older women in our society are seen and treated, and that needs to be addressed. And I know there's a big, a bigger issue of ageism in general, but what I'm carving out to be an advocate for is older women. If I look at my friends who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, we are not who we're portrayed to be in the media. We are active and involved and we're current and we're contributing and we we aren't doting and dotty and need health now some women of course are not in good health that's always true but a lot of us are very active and we need to be portrayed that way mm -hmm. and it's time for us to step out and say this isn't good enough anymore you know we look at who we are Take us for who we are. Let us be who we are and stop portraying us the way you do. Because we are, we have a lot, a lot to offer. We have so much wisdom and experience and sensitivity, which the world needs right now. And so that's what I advocate for. I advocate for the full involvement of older women in all spheres of business, government, nonprofit, education, wherever they want to be, that's where they should be making a difference. Women need to plan ahead for financing a longer life. So I get very concerned when, when women are not asking questions, especially those women who are in a couple that they don't anticipate what might be needed for them as they go toward old age and the possibility of aging solo. So uh, as an advocate, what I do is I gently bring up the topic of financing a longer life. And I put in there the fact that there's a possibility of aging solo and then asking women everywhere, what do they need to do for themselves to advocate for a financial well-being for the rest of their lives. But I did have something happen this morning that was so strange considering we were talking about advocacy is that I decided I want to have a puppy, um, somebody to cuddle and someone to be with. And I've been um, emailing some of these places that say they're breeders. And one breeder got back to me and he said, you know, we would love for you to have a puppy, and we certainly have, and I told them how old I was, 80-year-olds that have puppies, but do you have an advocate? And, and he went on to say, what I mean by that 
is our puppies leave 15, live 15 to 20 years? And do you have someone that will take care of the puppy after you're gone? My goodness. <laughs> and that, I mean, it just sort of plugged into how everybody needs an advocate. The puppies yeah. need an advocate and certainly we need advocates. And we need advocates that are younger than we are. Mm -hmm. We need to remember that. We need to know that having an advocate doesn't mean that we're out of sync with the world and that we are not able to do anything for ourselves. It means that we have someone that helps. It means that we're not into denial about how we don't see as well as we got, get older or how we don't hear as well or how maybe we don't eat as well. So it's really important to have an advocate. And um, I think especially people who are alone and don't have kids here or have kids that are busy, everybody's busy. We need to have a special person. So do it now. Do it while you still have most of your faculties so that you know who that person will be. Yes, good, good advice. <laughs> So what about senior living? Well, I wanted to say that not all of us want or can afford senior living or independent residential living. We want to be at home, so we have to start exploring now. There are many nonprofit organizations in every city who can help, and we need to check them out. And we really need to not wait because when it's too late, it's in the hands of our kids, and it might not be what we want. My name is Lydia Manning, and I'm a professor of gerontology at Concordia University, Chicago. Um, and Gail and Catherine have kindly asked me to um, rejoin the conversation and address pressing issues for women in later life, both now and in the future, and what my thoughts are on that um, as a gerontologist and as an aging woman myself. Um, I think, you know, I in our in our last discussion, I, I talked about this and I referenced it, but I think it's still so true. Um, I think ageism is, is such a problem um, for not only older adults at large, but particularly for aging women. And I feel like until we can really come together and address the pervasive and ubiquitous issues that, that, that are inherent and embedded in ageism and existing and growing older, older in an ageist culture, um, we're going to continue to have to fight um, and claim voice and claim responsibility. And I, you know, I look to the current political climate. Um, and I think it saddens me that the only real meaningful conversation around age is who's too old to serve as our president. Um, so I think issues for women right around ageism, around claiming visibility, um, around managing that intersection of age and gender. I think those are important things to always think about. Um, I also think financial security is, is important and will continue to be important, um, you know, for both the current cohorts of older women, but also for future generations of older, older women. If we look at the data, we know that more and more women are choosing to remain single and child-free. And so what will that look like in later life? And so how can you financially prepare to live to 100 as potentially a single income earner 
um, without a built-in social support system of, of loved ones to take care of you. Although we, we know not all loved ones and adult children take care of their parents. Um, but again, preparing to be your own advocate as a woman um, as you age, both for current older women and future older women. Um, financial security, ageism. Um, and I think too, negotiating um, living arrangements and space and, and what it's gonna look like or what it's gonna take to be able to have the old age of your choice. Um, do you want to age in place? Do you want to age in community? Can you? Does it make sense for you? If not, what are your other options? Um, so I guess the financial preparedness also goes along with the um, care preparedness. Um, but you know, how are you gonna gonna meet your needs um, as you age and celebrate all the while? Uh, I um, it, it's probably clear what their prompt question was, although I've I think I failed to say it, and that it was. What are the most unresolved advocacy issues for aging women? And um, Judith, Suzanne, comments again. What stood out for you in terms of what you heard, and what would you like to add of your no, own? I think I think it's really, really true. And the um, I face in my work every single day uh, talk about ageism and people in transition and those things. And one of the things, and it really is another social piece, another social justice piece, I can't get away from them, is that when uh, the so-called retirement ages were established, many, many, many people died in their 60s. Many had worked on the farms or worked in factories and things, and they died very quickly after that retirement age. Now, if we know someone who dies in their 60s, it's a tragedy. So what do we do and how do we advocate for those people? And for those lives that we're going to have and looking at it, you know, I suddenly realized at one point, certainly that both of my grandmothers lived to be over 100. And I thought, sister, you've got a long way to go here yet <laughs> and figure this out. But I think it's an important, important advocacy thing. And we are finding that there are certainly um, organizations and groups and not just not for profit, but in business that have learned a lesson about how important it is for them to purchase wisdom. Mm. Say more about that, Judith, purchase wisdom. I think it's purchase wisdom because it used to be, and one thing we don't see so much anymore as we did, was the newly minted MBA with little or no uh, business experience coming into the work world with a golden ticket, and it did not work well. And companies don't have the time or the luxury of doing that now and with the change. Also, the advantage to them of buying the wisdom of those of us that are older and experienced and skilled is that they do not have to plan for our benefits are taking care of us for 25 or 30 years. <laughs> that they, could, they can look at that. And one thing that's really fueled that are the uh, acquisition of private companies and organizations by private equity firms and virtual mm -hmm. capital because their idea is to come in and change things and leverage them and leverage them for sale and doing it and they don't have time to develop people. Therefore, they purchase wisdom, which is a real advantage for skilled, well-educated older people. That is a very optimistic note. <laughs> I have to be. <laughs> right. Yes. Suzanne? Well, yeah, I, I was, was taken by the, the uh, several times the question of money and the question of financial autonomy was raised. And um, I, I think, too, uh, there's an intersection with uh, 
the questions of racism in this country. And so that the, the uh, really the attention to the under-resourced women who are, who are either leaving the workforce or who are, um, and ha who have been underpaid their whole professional life or their whole work life. Um, and then uh, coming in and, and um, having to, to face this longer lifespan. Um, it's, it's a huge crisis. And I, I had gone and I told Catherine, I went on this morning, I went on the United Nations uh, page to see what the issues of worldwide were uh, for women aging. And they were the same worldwide. It was um, finance, um, safety, um, safety from violence, safety from um, um, the, being being um, susceptible to to cr criminal um, mm -hmm. activities, uh, trying to 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 extract their resources or just, mm -hmm. um, and then the health. So that the these these issues are really worldwide. And um, I, I was because the question was about um, was really about policies. I thought so. These are things not just the individual care, but the idea of what the country needs to be doing uh, in terms of um, making sure that, uh, that um, social security, for example, is adequate to the task and that Medicare and Medicaid are adequate to the task and that they're equitably available to everyone. Um, uh, there, was a, there were pieces yesterday's papers saying that women are being the COVID is pushing more women out of the workforce right. than men. And that um, not only are they now outside of um, being compensated, but they're now out of the promotion ladder. They're, they're, and, and if it's gonna last for more time and they're gonna have to be taking more care of their children, that you know the disruption of the progress that has been made may be substantial. Are you seeing some of that, Judith, in your Yes, the disruption, the disruption for women is so much more than it has been for men. It, it, it really has in numbers and in where they can go, what they can do. I would also encourage any of you that have younger women in your family or that you're working with or talking to or whatever that are at the beginning of their career is to get them a little book called Women Don't Ask. And that at the beginning of our careers, if we realize that women leave in a lifetime well over a million dollars on the table because women don't ask, uh, somebody will give us an offer and we say, thank you very much, sir. And a male is going to interview then and they're going to ask for $50,000 more a year because there's a, more of that attitude about what the hell I'm going to ask. What's the worst thing that can happen? But we still have that ingrained thing about thank you thank you thank you for considering me rather yes. than no this is me and so that that thing about women learning to negotiate and ask is just really really important yes i think that uh, hitches on to the idea that women some women um don't learn about money that they're if, right. if they're in a partnership and they allow the other partner to be responsible for the finances that they then can become suddenly vulnerable because they don't know enough. You're wonderful, you two. You're just wonderful. We, we so appreciate your being here and, uh, and, and, you know, giving us 
a sense of your wisdom and sharing that wisdom with all of our listeners and everyone who is watching this video. Uh, You're just, you're so inspiring. And, And every aspect of this work that we're doing is so inspiring to me. And I know it is to Catherine too. Well, what I, I really appreciate how we've um, covered from what what the sharing the story means to each of us as an individual and expanding our sense of community and our ideas and our perspectives and and moving through all the way to you know worldwide issues that we women have in common and the need to continue to to recognize ageism to combat it to really think larger about policies and what can we do to, to influence uh, policy, whether it's in the workplace or the legislative. Um, so that, that is inspiring me to be thinking even beyond what we're currently doing. Um, I was really struck by also about the, you know, that sense of community. We talk about that a lot, but what does that mean? And it's, I think what we've heard today is that, you know, community is across geography. We've, we've reached across, pretty much across the United States. Uh, it's across time. Uh, and, and we have women of, you know, t- you know between 70 and 100, that's, that's quite a large <laughs> spread. And, um, and making friends it during, uh, when you're virtual, that sense that you can actually make friends and, and, and together tackle some of these really messy social justice issues. Um, so I'm, I'm very, um, as Gail said, I'm very inspired by it. And, and Suzanne, I really liked you bringing out Marshall Gans yeah. that uh, starts with me. The story starts with me and it becomes a story of we, and then we act. We act now. And as uh, Lydia Manning said, claim our voice, exercise our voice, we be our own advocates, we advocate for one another. I think it's just fabulous. Suzanne. Let me, can I just, do we have enough time for me just to, because what I want to do when I was thinking about this, the whole question of race and the racist society in which we live for so long, what is apparent now and we're learning more about is, for example, when you just talk about the finances, that um, an African-American woman over 70 has not, ha- not had the opportunities for wealth creation that the, um, her peers from other groups have. And so that much of what we say about safety and money and vulnerability is, is um, magnified. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who have suffered from uh, racist culture in which they live. Yeah. And so in terms of policy and in terms of advocacy, um, the, um, the focus of, of much has been on um, the, um, vulnerability to the police mm-hmm. present. But when you think about the vulnerability of uh, women of African descent over the years and the, the disadvantages they lived under from a policy perspective, um, the redlining, the, 
the inability to be compensated at, the, at appropriate levels. And so not to be able to be in as financially secure position as their peers um, is, is really something we should be thinking about yes. trying to amend. Judith, did you want to comment? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, Suzanne. And I think it's important and an important subject and one to mention. Uh, at the beginning of the George Floyd thing, it meant a great deal to me when I heard John Meacham speaking one evening. And he said, I'm going to speak to you as white people now, and as I am too. As white people, we have got to finally come to terms and understand that racism is not the problem of people of color to solve. It's ours. Mm -hmm. And so, on that note, Catherine, do you have anything else to say? No, I said my piece. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies, Suzanne, Judith, closing words? Suzanne? No, thank you very okay. much for inviting me to be part of this. It's, uh, it's an honor. Thank you so much, Judith and Suzanne. And also, on that note that we were just talking about, we would really uh, appreciate if you uh, can refer women to us, anybody listening sure. who can speak to, to these to issues of racism and inequities, we would be so appreciative. Um, yes. Deborah Holton is, uh, Dr. Deborah Holton is an advocate for aging that will be probably, uh, her episode will be coming in probably January. Mm -hmm. And she speaks very, very eloquently about um, self-care and, and radical self-care for uh, women of color. And so she, mm -hmm. uh, her episode will kind of, I think, start to prime that conversation. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot more to discuss about that. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Good. And on that note. <laughs> oh, let the champagne. It didn't pop. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's un unopened, but. <laughs> Here's to Congratulations all to the two of you, the three you. of you, for having created this uh, really meaningful um, yes. enterprise. Thank Cheers you to all of you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. We couldn't do it without you all. <coughs> Thanks.